the Royal Australian Air Force in person, 1921 to 2021. Ad Astra Aviator. This is a series of podcasts recounting the personal stories of veterans and their families. The narrator is Gareth McRae, OAM. Today I'm talking with Leslie Gent, OAM. Now, Leslie, whilst having never been in the Air Force, is part of the Air Force fabric, as have been officers, airmen and families since 1921. She grew up in country New South Wales. After schooling, she moved to Sydney and worked at David Jones as a press relations officer, a most exciting job. Uh, Maharaja of Mysore, Rolling Stones, Tony Bennett, Tom Jones, some of the people she met. Her father was superintendent of police in the northeastern district. He's been in the mounted police in Newcastle. She accompanied her father to the winter ball at RAAF Williamtown. This is where she met her future husband, Gary. He was in a striking uniform and was walking around with a bottle of champagne under his arm. She and Gary were married the following December in 1969. Her first encounter with the hierarchy of the RAAF was when the commanding officer's wife invited her and another new wife for afternoon tea. She was lectured formally on her responsibility to her husband and to the RAAF. Leslie says she adhered to these requirements within reason until Gary retired. He has always maintained he didn't know what hit him that day. Leslie believes conditions have improved enormously over the years for families of servicemen and women. In the 1970s and 80s, she visited the Emmons homes on numerous occasions and found it hard to believe the poor conditions. Gary served 30 years in the RAF and then they went into farming. The Rural Fire Brigade was one of Leslie's main interests and she spent many years on the education advisory panel. She was talked into being researcher, secretary, treasurer of 77 Squadron Association and then Fighter Squadron's branch. During this time, she worked solidly in support of veterans and their families. She had close contact with 77 Squadron RAF and wrote a book for them, Killed in Service. Leslie now provides all the research for Air Force Association New South Wales. For example, her current work is trying to locate the family of Flight Sergeant Kenneth Morrison, killed whilst piloting Halifax JD-126 over Arum, Holland, on the 10th of July 1943. And so her Air Force Associated life continues just differently. Leslie, what a life. Great life. Yeah, great life indeed. Let's start originally. You're from Wellington, correct? I was born in Wellington. How long did you spend there? Uh, would have been about four years. Then we moved to Mandurin, Scone, Musselbrook. And is that because your father was, was a police, police officer? Up. Yes, and he moved. Why was he continually moving? What was the... Uh, I guess that's just the way it was. There were In the beginning, there weren't very many men around. Most of them had gone to war. Right. Uh, the police that were around were people, police who could uh, had special talents or whatever you like to call it. Understand. And they didn't have as many police, so they sort of filled them in around it, all over the place. I believe you were a rally driver, is that? Yeah. 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 Tell me about that. 
Well, that was probably my first taste of speed, I <laughs> should imagine. Um, and uh, that was when I was working in Bathurst um, with the Ford Company. And I, we used to have – there was a lot of rallies around. I don't know whether you know the area around Oberon Forest and that. We used to have a sure. lot of – Were you a navigator ra- or a driver? No, I was a driver. You were the driver. Hated navigating. I would hate to navigate. I did it once or twice and got the poor driver into all sorts of trouble. <laughs> so I went back to driving um, – and I had my own car, and they had to put a, a quarter-inch plate of steel. They did that in those days, which made the cars very heavy because of the conditions, sure. you know, going over the sure. bush and that. Sure. And we didn't make it terribly safe for driving around town, but we kept out of the way of police. So you owned you owned the car that I, you actually were rallying. Yes. How yeah. good were you? Sorry? How good were you? Oh, I got a few uh, trophies and... That, not not terribly good. I wasn't up in the, anyway, you know. You went something you like, enjoyed because yes. you enjoyed speed. Not in the Leo Gagan's class or anything <laughs> like that. So so when did you go to David Jones? Um, that would have been in the late 60s, 1967 or 8. 60, no, 66. 66. You're, you're making it hard, aren't you? No, no. <laughs> I'll try not to. But in that, you were PR with David Jones, correct? Uh, well, it was press relations. We did – it was different to their public relations. We uh, dealt with the media the whole time, uh, getting publicity for things that were happening in the store as apart from advertising. So yeah. uh, special I, people I, came, promotions, that type of thing. I understand. Yep. The Rolling Stones and Tony Bennett, two – diametrically opposed entertainers. What was the connection to David Jones that enabled you to get to meet people like that? Well, I was a bit lucky with the Rolling Stones. Uh, With that, they wanted to buy a new set of luggage and they got in touch with David Jones' (laughs) luggage department and David Jones' luggage department said, hey, that's a good PR thing. (laughs) Definitely. So they took up a lot of luggage to where they were staying, which you wouldn't remember, you're too young, the Chevron up the Chevron in, Hilton, uh, yes, in down at uh, King's Cross. Uh, yes, I remember it. <laughs> yeah, I remember it. <laughs> I like the glint in your eye, maybe for different reasons yeah. to what I remember. Um, and so we took all the luggage up there and did photo shoots and that. Sure. And they were extremely polite and quite intelligent. They were, I think, they were a bit better educated than a lot of people gave them credit yeah. for. And oh, this, this was before they really got involved in drugs and sure, things like that. Sure, you're probably listening to this thinking to yourself now why is he talking to Leslie because Leslie wasn't in the RWF well for a very important reason you must remember that be it a male or be it a female who is a, an officer or a member of the services particularly the RWF there is probably always going to be a partner and even children and it's important to know what their life was like because their life is married to the RAAF. So let's jump straight into that, Leslie. You met Gary, your husband, to be your husband, in 1969. How did that come about? Um, my my father was um, amongst the official guests at the Winter Ball and I accompanied him. I'd been up from Sydney staying for a week and I accompanied him there and uh, a delightful lady called Nell Parker, whose husband was the CEO. No, see, of the base. I'm, I can't, I can't. Yeah. Um, she said, oh, this is terrible. Young people up here with all the oldies. Um, so she said, there was Gary 
and took me over and introduced me. What's and that this was about it. the champagne bottle under oh, his Oh, he was walking around. In those days, he used to like champagne. He prefers a heavy beer now, but uh, <laughs> when he was young, he preferred champagne and he was walking around uh, carrying it. And I thought, this looks pr- promising. Someone with a bottle of champagne. Okay, so yeah. the champagne bottle wasn't the attraction, it was Gary. Um, no, the champagne was the initial attraction. Initial attraction. So, meeting him and obviously getting married, tell us in between. What between meeting him and how did you two get together? Uh, well, with great difficulty mainly because I was in Sydney and I used to come up on weekends and what have you. Uh, and we'd just go to, out to dinner and then we decided we would get married and I said, oh, I'd always wanted a spring wedding and he said, we've missed spring, you've got two opportunities to get married. Maybe then bells sort of started ringing. Um, yeah, let's said, just, just, just dwell then. <laughs> He's told you there's only two chances in the calendar year to get married. Yeah. Now, that's why was that? Well, the first was uh, at Christmas we could get married then because they were resurfacing the runway at Williamtown and there was no flying. So... He was happy to get married then and go away for a week or so. And the second one was Easter because they were closed down over Easter. So they were the two options. So one of the difficulties in the earlier days for an RAAF person who was going to marry a non-RAAF person, there's your first experience with the need for discipline, the need for planning things as far as RAAF is concerned. Or a need for him not to miss out on flying. Well, okay, let's put it that way as well. All right, you, okay, so you get married. Did you get married on an RAAF base no, or where did no, you get married? No, no uh, we got married at St Augustine's Church in Newcastle. Okay. And uh, it was very lucky actually that we were able, only that Canon Pitcher was a friend of my father and he had a cancellation of a wedding and we slipped in there. <laughs> it, it pays to have a father <laughs> who's, who's part of the police, yeah. police hierarchy. Yeah. All right, now you're married. He's in the RAAF, you're still not. Where did you live? What, where We lived out at uh, Shoal Bay, firstly, yep. uh, for two years. Then we went to Butterworth. So before you went to Butterworth, you actually met the OC's wife. Oh, yes. That was Tell just, us about her. Uh, well, well. And be honest. <laughs> well, it wasn't Mill Parker. They changed. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, changed over the holidays. Just after we came back from holidays, Margaret, a friend of mine, uh, and we got a, an invitation, a formal invitation. We were quite excited about the whole thing, not having any contact. Or well, she did. She was in the RAAF, a nurse, but she'd had to give that up because they, in those days if they married, they could no longer serve. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got this lovely inv- formal invitation and off we trotted all dressed up and then she started to tell us how to behave, which was quite a... I could Confronting? Say, yes, yes, it was strange. But we walked outside and I think we burst into laughter to start. We couldn't believe it. Uh, was it a friendly advice or was it uh, oh, almost it, as if she was an officer? Yeah, well, that was more or less it. You know, she was just laying down the rules and uh, telling us how to entertain people and uh, have them you know, out of the house and asking yeah. the boss out for dinner and she's telling us all these things. And it wasn't as if Margaret and I were 17-year-old girls. We were both 25 and 26, so sure. we, we had had ex- world experience, shall we say. But one of the things I believe she said in terms of lecturing you on responsibilities, she said, whatever you do, don't argue with your spouse. Yeah, that's right. Why? I've never quite worked it out, but I, th- I 
think it was because, well, I think it was, uh, if we, say, had an argument before he went off to work, he's likely to go flying around, be thinking of the argument and have an accident. But I've not worked out whether it was the plane they were worried about or the pilot. <laughs> but I think that was the main reason, so that the men wouldn't... Uh, wouldn't uh, their mind. And tell me, did you ever argue before he went out on a flight? Oh, not before he went out on a flight. Maybe over the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> and when he came back from the flight? <laughs> no, 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 okay. no, no. What was, mov- what was moving like? Moving wasn't bad. It didn't worry me. It worried a lot of wives um, because they'd never moved. They'd maybe grown up living in their family home and mm. then they start. But I'd always move because my father moved around and I, I quite You were look, used to it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I would quite look, look forward to moving in actual fact. So, so in that pro- process where you enjoyed moving in the RAAF, mm. where did you go? What places did you uh, go to? Not a great deal of variety. We went Williamtown, Butterworth, Williamtown, Canberra. Williamtown, there wasn't a great variety. So if it was either in Asia or it was in yeah, Australia. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Um, now, the other thing about an RAAF personnel's spouse, mm. in this particular case a wife, you were earning more than Gary. When we were married, yes, yes. And then it was hard when we first uh, went looking for work after we were married. It's very hard unless you were specialised in anything. People didn't want to employ RAF wives in those days because of the fact that they just them settled, settled in a job and then they'd be moving. Yeah. Uh, so they were more hesitant. If you were, say, a triple certificate nursing sister, you could probably easily get a job. Uh, but not as PR not, David Jones? Uh, n- not at Nelson's Bay. No. no. Was there a David Jones at Nelson's Bay? No. 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 Okay. New- Newcastle. And the other thing about f- when you got married is that the housing that was provided by the RAAF for mm. husbands and wives, uh, you said was ghastly? Um, not so much for us because we we got our own housing in, okay. out at Nelson's Bay. But when Gary was CO, there was a lot of angst about There was a lot of um, wives were complaining about the housing. They'd suddenly woken up that the um, Department of Housing was – the houses weren't good. They mm. were terrible. They were unfinished. They had problems with them. And the main problem was the ones out around Thornton, out that way, and they were airmen's homes mm. and quite honestly they some of them were disgraceful uh, but they were the houses I think the Department of Housing handed them over to the RAF and the RAF put the um, servicemen in them sure but some of them were absolutely frightful and they started a little movement out at Thornton which was good to try and get better housing has that improved oh yes well they don't uh, so like you can pick your own housing now and they get the subsidy or however they work it out sure. from the Air sure. Force you can pick your own you mentioned Asia Australia, Asia, Australia. Let's mm. go to Asia. Butterworth, um, you were there in during the was it during the Malaysian confrontation? Was no. it in that no. period? No, we were there seventy one to seventy four. Okay, but nevertheless, while he was working, you're not in the RAF, so mm. you're able to go places. You liked going shopping and doing trips to Singapore, mm. and on one of those endeavours. Didn't the Malaysian army stop you? Yeah, from time to time the communists got a little bit uh, angst or whatever. And, and sometimes when we were at Butterworth they would advise us not to travel to Alistair or other places, you know, the wives driving yeah. by themselves. Yeah. Uh, so you'd heed their advice. Or before I took off for Singapore each time I would check uh, with the police, military police, and they would say, well, this particular time they must have, their 
intelligence wasn't up to par. And I got north of KL and there's a whole mass of Malaysian soldiers and big tent, you know, they set themselves up and they pull you over and we had a great discussion I did with a, a major, I think he was, and he's telling me I wasn't going to Singleton, uh, to Singapore and I'd say, I am going to Singapore and he'd say, you're not going to Singapore and this went on for quite a long time because I didn't speak terribly good with Bahasa and his English was lacking. As bad as your Bahasa, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, it wasn't until someone a little bit more senior came along and explained exactly what he was saying. He was advising me not to go because the communists were around KL at the time. But I stuck to my guns and off I went. But when I got to the other side of KL, they were waiting for me to check me through to make sure I'd got through that area and I've been eternally grateful that they actually were doing their job. So, did you actually get to Singapore? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I did the trip many times. And coming back on that particular occasion, was it the same? No, it was clear by then. It was clear by by then, then. yes. What was it like living in in another country as a non-RAF personnel? It was no problem, I don't think. Uh, Well, I didn't find it. And the... um, Malaysian government, well, there was an agreement with the Australian government with as far as servants were concerned, depending on your rank, how many mm. you had, uh, which is probably a bit intrusive for most Australians because they weren't brought up with someone in the house all sure. the time. You know, sure. That was probably the only thing that became a... And the language? A, well, you, you had to make an effort. They all, all spoke English, but... Uh, when the Malaysian government made it uh, compulsory that places like banks and that all spoke Bahasa, uh, you had to make an effort then to... Yeah. They all spoke English, but they were supposed to do Did business you, Have in. you maintained that in your... No. no? About, about the only thing I can say is Ikiri. That's about all. <laughs> That's keep left. <laughs> what was the, uh, how, the connection to Changi Hospital? I didn't quite oh, understand that. Oh, Gary's on detachment. I used to go to Sing- Singapore when he was on detachment right. down there. And I got rather ill and they put me in Changi, Changi Hospital. Uh, that's an experience. It, it, of course, it was all over. But the British Army nurses were still there. And they're very, very strict. Don't ever cross a British Army nurse, I can <laughs> tell you. And, you know, they, it didn't matter how ill you were. You, you know, you had to follow their... It uh, sounds a bit like the OC's wife that you yeah, met earlier it, on. Exactly. But there was a, we had a couple of exciting... I was there for two weeks. The best was uh, when Princess Margaret came. She was Colonel-in-Chief of the Royal Highland Fusiliers at that time and they were stationed in Singapore. Did you meet her? Yes, she came to the hospital to see the wives of the Royal Highland Fusiliers and she then came around and visited the other wards and she wasn't supposed to speak to anyone except a lady who had flowers on her side table, someone they picked out to yeah. speak to her, but she was a terribly nice person and she went along and spoke to everyone who was in the ward, which was lovely. And what was she like to talk to? Wonderful. She was uh, inquiring about uh, what you're doing there, what your husband was doing, you know. It seemed as if it was a genuine in- interest, but she had a gorgeously handsome young uh, Australian naval aide with her and he was he looked like he was about 17 but obviously he wasn't and he f- followed her around and did whatever he's an aide supposed to do but when they went downstairs to the formal drinks he unfortunately tried to match her drink for drink 
And that was uh, a fundamental error. It was a very fundamental error. And uh, then the next day we heard that he couldn't go to work and his <laughs> boss was very, very cross with him, as you can imagine. They had to get another aid, <laughs> go through you know, all the instructions and everything. But he was so poorly the next day that he couldn't even turn up for work. Does that also say that Princess Margaret was able to hold her, yes, her she, liquor? I think she was probably drinking G&Ts for many more years <laughs> before the young naval officer was. <laughs> Don't try and match royalty in your drinking. No. So in the meantime, what were you feeling and learning up to that point about the RAAF that maybe you wouldn't have known before you got married? Oh, probably not a great deal. Um, the men went to work and they did their job and they came home from work, just like any other uh, family. So they, he, when Gary came home with you, you particularly, I mean, they, you didn't discuss work? Or? No. No, not never, at all? Never. I, I didn't even know if he was going on detachments. He'd... Uh, He'd wait until he was packing his bags and then he'd... <laughs> then why, why, why was that, Leslie? Well, work was work, I think, as far as Gary was concerned. Yeah. And his job wasn't to discuss the Air Force and what he was doing with a civilian, which was me. Mm. So That's probably another lesson for people listening to you now mm. who are about to get married to a service person, be it male or be it female. Mm. Um, I would have thought as a non service RAAF person, I would have thought that joining the RAF is joining a family. I don't think it was in those days. It's different now because they have more contact um, even when they go away. You know, they have mobile phones, mm. even if they go overseas on mm. um, military, uh, not just exercises, but, you know, war zones. They can talk to their family. Mm. So it's a different ball game. We couldn't. Well, you know, they were away. Yeah. At what point did you have children? 70... We'll just pause by that wonderful sound. That gives me goosebumps every time I hear one, and I, I love that, that they're taking off while we are at Fighter World doing, doing a chat yeah. with you. Uh, yeah, children. Did you have children? Yeah, so I have one son. He... quite conceivable, Leslie, that there will be a third one, so if I stop again, you'll understand why. You have one son. Yeah. When did you, how old? He, he was born in Butterworth about six months before we came home. So, um, yep. And it's how a, old is he now? 46, 46 or some, something like that, yes, yes. I told you there'd be a third one. <laughs> There won't be number four. Uh, uh, Gary, at some point, is thinking about retiring from the Air Force. Mm. When did that happen? Uh, when he reached 30 years. He'd been, he joined as an apprentice right. when he was 14. Uh, turned 15 in the January he started his apprenticeship. Uh, so he'd been in 30 years. Um, okay, so yeah. he's been there for 30 years. I'm going to retire. Yep. How did you feel? Relief or you didn't care? No? No, no. Um, I didn't mind. See, I never minded moving or any of that sort of thing. You know, a lot of women or families would have probably uh, wanted to get out to stop the moving, but uh, that never worried me, so it didn't worry me. Okay. Now, there's good out. news and bad news to come. All right, you get out. 
you go into farming, you buy a farm. Where was that? Up out of Taree, out of Cundletown. What sort a, of farm? Uh, cattle. We had cattle. How many uh, acres? I was only 50 acres and we had Murray Greys on them. Okay, yeah. okay. Mm. However, <laughs> however, he's retired. You've both got a farm. You're both working together. The RAAF calls again. What happened? Uh, they would build, it was the build-up to the FA18s coming in uh, and they were... He went down as a project project manager or something well, like that. Well, only for one year, he, he yeah, said. Yeah, and he uh, was to be 18 months. So we thought, well, we can live with 18 months, him coming down, coming home weekends and that type of thing. It went for five years. <laughs> Are so you still the, feeling positive about it? No, I wasn't feeling positive about the Air Force by then. So, yeah. your, your son, Alexander, is that yeah. correct? Alexander was at uni? When he went to uni, we sold the farm and moved away, yes. Okay. I think, Leslie, the RAAF is flying past <laughs> specifically for you to say, we're still here, we're still here, we'd still like Gary to come back again. Uh, so he's at uh, uni, so what does that mean? Gary's back in the RAAF. He's there for five years. You've got a son who's going to uni. What does that mean? Leave you and totally responsible for the farm? Well, not for very long because we sold it and moved to Newcastle. (laughs) (laughs) So when Gary leaves the RAAF after five years, that's permanent. He's now finished for good. Yes. What, What does he do? Well, we came to Newcastle and he got very, very involved in legacy. Yep, and legacy. Uh, legacy and um, 77 Squadron Association. He had a, an affinity with those, so that kept him off the streets for quite a while. So did you get involved with 77 Squadron as well then? Yes. You oh, both not, were? Not, not then. A little while later, Jimmy Tread asked me to come along and fill a slot that was there and I've been ever since. You were, the slot was what, secretary? Secretary, treasurer, Everything. researcher. Everything. <laughs> yeah. um, and the, the contact you had with veterans friends, did that did that grow as a result of that? Yes. Although the veteran community was fairly strong in Newcastle, but then this association reached out. They had um, veterans all over Australia or mm. and overseas as mm. well. Mm. And most of the research I did was when they were trying to trace families or families were trying to trace, you know, their uncles or grandfathers sure. and things like that. You must have developed and still developing a very detailed knowledge of the RAAF and its history. Yeah, I- Probably, and I branched out into Bomber Command. They, yeah, we'll come yeah, to yeah. that. Come to that in yeah. in a second. Tell us about the book "Killed in Service." Well, it's one for um, seventy seven Squadron Two, but that hasn't been published yet. And it's uh, everyone who was with seventy seven Squadron from when it was founded in nineteen forty two through to the last pilot who was killed was Jepson. Uh, so there's a history of them. Mm-hmm. Some there's more history because uh, a bit family has given me more to put in. Sure. It. And I did the same for 77 RAF. Yeah. 
And then we do come to Bomber Command. You've done a great deal of research on Bomber Command. What mm. got you involved in that? Now, that was strange. They, they got in touch with 77 Australia, but they didn't realise at the time 77 was a fighter We'll let squadron. that plane go. Maybe just pause because there may be another one or two. Okay, they didn't realise you were saying? Yeah. And so um, Jimmy Tread was very interested in having us like a sister squadron or whatever right. you call it. So it developed from there. Um, and they used to give us things and we put a lot of things in there. Newsletter, I'll write things to go in their newsletter as well. For Australians, you know. Sure. Are you going to do a book on Bomber Command? Oh, I think there's a lot of books on Bomber Command. A okay. huge but number of books. But the research is still yeah. engaging. Well, you. it's still going on. I'm working on one at the moment with the, uh, people from Holland. The plane, the Halifax, which was piloted by an Australian pilot, crashed on their property. And the old aged aunt, as she's getting older, is reminiscing. Mm. And she's, they're writing me stuff. You know, the plane went past their window. It was on fire when it went past their window and crashed in their paddock. And she talks about how they were banned from using the the Germans stopped them going into their own paddock and sure. and visiting the grave they buried the people there's things that people haven't talked about a great deal but now they are yeah mm. I think I saw something you wrote or you said that although you had very little to do with the RAF when Gary was in it your association with the Air Force and its service people since then has uh, Mean meant that you've, your your attachment and your love of has grown greater than it ever was. Well, once you get to know the personalities, uh, that that's what it is. It's not not to me. It's not the planes. It's the people who fly them. The people that were in World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, wherever. It's the people uh, more so than the planes because I don't know a great deal about planes. Understand. Uh, so it's the people more than anything else. Have you had much to do with army or navy personnel? Oh, a little bit to do with Navy, because Gary's best friend, horror of horrors, was a Navy commander. <laughs> um, and I'm not asking you to say one is better than the other, but how would you explain, as a w wife, non-personnel, how would you explain the difference between the RAF and others? That might be a bit difficult, because I don't really know others well, that well. Okay, what <laughs> makes you feel so now so positive about the RAF? Well, the Navy goes more in for ceremony. You know, if you go to a Navy ball or that, they wear their cloaks, their swords and all that. The RAF is more, is a little bit more casual mm. um, and I think that people think more of the RAF than they do of the other services because they're a little bit more casual. Maybe someone listening to you right now is about to get involved with someone in the... RAF, be it female or be it male, these days it doesn't matter. What would you be advising them given your vast experience? I'd say go for it. Why? It, well, it's a great life actually. Uh, the men, for the men, and if, if the men are happy flying, mending planes, whatever, if they're happy in their work, and it is good for the men, it is a good career move, and that means that the wives also Mm. have a good life and uh, I think that's all it is really the so, same as any other 
family. Of course, of course. Well, to some extent, there is, though, given the nature of uh, the world today, there is the possibility that our men and our women may find themselves in the Middle East or somewhere else where it's a hotspot rather than not a hotspot. And that puts a, a degree of pressure on the spouse. I think they've, they're supported very well now. Some people don't think they are. You know, depends on your situation. But I think they are. the families are supported a lot more than they were when Gary when was When you in. got married. Yeah, yeah. yes. You know, to so today them. it's better. Yeah, I think so. And, and the fact that you can be in contact with your spouse when they're away, that is, and even on Facebook, you know, they can do sure, that. Sure, Well, we'd had no contact for, at all, you know, so I think that makes it, that's a good support. Yeah. Listening to what Leslie's had to say, I hope you get a better understanding of what it was like and what it is like now today. And of course, with the F-35s flying over throughout this chat, you can hear that the Air Force is well and truly alive. And Leslie, thank you for your contribution. And thank you for the work you're doing with 77 Squadron, and also with Bomber Command. You are to be commended and congratulated. And you're a wonderful member. You should be in the RAF. <laughs> oh, I'd love that. Thanks for your time. <laughs> thank you, Gareth. Globally, the RAAF has between 500 and 700 people on operations every day, contributing to coalition operations, peacekeeping and humanitarian and disaster relief. The RAAF takes pride in its service. It has a history of endeavour and sacrifice, which has won it a place in the hearts of all Australians and a position of respect among the armed services of all Australia's allies. The RAAF will never tarnish its record. It carries on in the proud tradition of Per Adua Ad Astra. This is a series of podcasts recounting the personal stories of veterans and their families. Produced by Air Force Association New South Wales, which is a registered charity that focuses on the well-being of Air Force veterans and their families. If you would like to donate funds to help us with this important work, you can search Air Force Association New South Wales in Google and go to our website.